You are listening to Mark Hatmaker Rough and Tumble Raconteur. This is a grab bag of old school Western martial arts, resurrected indigenous ways and empirical musings tinged with a heavy dose of respect, admiration, let's call it hero worship, for these hosses of yore. Crew, Mark Hatmaker here, coming to you from the Comancheria. Today's topic, solo training, lost cities, and in uh, resurrecting indigenous ways of not drowning, and how it pertains to you. Now, after a year, actually more than a year, of self-quarantining and likely continued caution of the foreseeable future has left many of us to our own devices regarding leisure, study, training, and other like enterprises that are commonly thought of as being group-dependent or hands-on tutors necessary. I mean, we know lots of gyms are closed, lots of groups are kind of locked out of things, not all, but many, and uh, caution in, uh, you know, in many of these pandemic areas, it's, it's, it's kind of wise. So we would all agree that group dynamics are mighty useful for anything from tennis doubles to wrestling practice, but we would also likely agree that many a tennis champion, past, present, and future, has a ready repertoire of solo drills within his or her grasp that allows them to continually hone their game. Like the handball player has wall return practice, the ranged bereft shooter has dozens upon dozens of dry fire drills, and the striker has everything from bags to mirrors to, well, his own shadow. Quarantined or not, the player-shooter combatant that requires the presence of others to sharpen the saw is at a deficit in comparison with the individual who will train with and or without good fellows to share time with. So let's keep that in mind. If you think you need it, absolutely must have someone around. I mean, you need to have partners. You have to have uh, a tutor or an instructor standing over your shoulder. Then you're kind of uh, at odds with the person who says, I'm going to do this no matter what. The autodidact, that is the self-taught person, the one who has got the discipline to jump in it, who sees no training partner, is no true loss, to fer- is uh, fertile with creative ideas, and the self-discipline to carry on, locked down or not. Now, to be clear, let's be clear on this. Training partners are always a plus, provided they are like-minded, well-paced workers. I'm sure we can all think of some past partners who are deficit to progress, and solo training would have been the wiser course of action. But today's sermon merely tests the idea that others are a must. The test of a true autodidact is how self-instructive one can be. That is, how much progress can be made without the firm hand of the tutor to impart the lineal pearls of wisdom that can only be attained via the master's lips to the student's eager ear. I mean, if we're really concerned with the lineage and such, it just we just get bogged down a bit of dogma. Let's talk about a tale of the lo- of a, a single lost city. We know there were many lost cities been discovered. Let's go with one. In uh, Homer's The Iliad, we have the tale of the Trojan War, and as one would expect, the city of Troy plays a large part in this heroic epic. For centuries, scholars considered the city of Troy a confabulation or a metaphorical representation of many cities. Well, to the German merchant, again, not an archaeologist, German merchant Heinrich Schliemann, Troy was a reality. Schliemann became entranced with the tale of Troy and decided to use his fortune to search for the city. Scholars and contemporary archaeologists scoffed at his wrongheadedness. They considered Schliemann an untutored dilettante with no formal training, let alone the good sense to correctly read and interpret metaphorical text. So the experts, uh, they thought they knew what they're talking about with this guy. He doesn't know anything. I mean, so Schliemann, though, he puts his money where his mouth is. He starts sinking money into something as complex as an archaeological dig, and uh, it was seen as folly. Again, Schliemann's untutored autodidact. He had discipline, uh, but uh, he didn't know really that much about archaeology. But uh, he was tutored uh, in foreign languages. But 
only by himself. Despite having never attended a single foreign language class or having access to a self-teaching Rosetta Stone course or an app, he mastered a dozen languages. You hearing that? A dozen. That's 12, all right? This is the historian Will Durant discussing Schliemann. This is from Will Durant's The Life of Grace, all right? Quote, in his travels as a merchant, he made it a practice to learn the language of each country he traded with and to write in that language the current pages of his diary. By this method, he learned English, French, Dutch, Spanish, Portuguese, Italian, Russian, Swedish, Polish, and Arabic. Now, he went to Greece, studied the language as a living speech, and was soon able to read both ancient and modern Greek as fluently as German. That's unquote now. Now, this is Schliemann himself talking about his self-taught autodidactical method. Quote, In order to acquire quickly the Greek vocabulary, I procured a modern translation of Paul and Virginia, uh, which is a French volume, and read it through, comparing every word with its equivalent in the French original. When I had finished that task, I knew at least one half of the Greek words the book contained, and after repeating the operation, I knew them all, or nearly so, without having lost a single minute by being obliged to use a dictionary. Of my Greek grammar, I learned only the declension and the verbs and never lost my precious time by studying its rules. For as I saw that boys, for after being troubled and tormented for eight years and more in school with the tedious rules of grammar, can nevertheless none of them write a letter in ancient Greek without making hundreds of atrocious blunders. I thought the method pursued by the schoolmasters must be wrong altogether, and I learned ancient Greek as I would have learned it as a living language. Unquote. So get this. In a sense, we got a guy here who just throws it all out the window. How we all learn languages in school, he said, I don't think that's the way to do it. And he just uh, sets off on his own course. So here we have an untutored maven of languages learned without a tutor and apparently improved upon the current teaching method. And with this, he does this with 12 languages, including a so-called dead language. That's intriguing. Now, by the way, uh, he proved uh, correct and the archaeologist wrong with his successful dig. Yeah, I know, that's a good story, but it was an intellectual endeavor. And the question you may have is, well, it's way harder to learn a physical skill without a qualified hand at your shoulder, right? Okay. Let's uh, shift gears here a little bit, and we'll call this How Not to Drown. In kayaking, sea or river, there is a counterintuitive skill called the Eskimo Roll. All right? If you've not done it before, it's basically the Eskimo Roll is actually a catch-all term for many, many 360-degree riding tactics. In, in summary, if the kayak inverts, leaving you with your head underwater, using the right chain of tactics, you will pop back to upright, saving your life, without ever exiting the craft, all right? I mean, there's again, there's so many different tribes, has so many different ways to do it. It's fun to play with as many of them as you can just to get a taste of uh, that grip. Now, you leave one chain of the rolling tactic out, you hedge a link in that chain or misunderstand a link, and you were left in the precarious position of being head underwater, upside down, in a pitching sea or roiling river. For anyone who has performed an Eskimo roll or attempted to learn to hit the skill properly, we can vouch that it's no easy feat. It is counterintuitive, a bit anxiety-inducing, and a wee bit dangerous if you don't train wisely. Now, for someone as for something as proprioceptively acute as this skill, surely more physically involved than learning a dozen languages, a teacher is a wise and necessary investment, right? All right, time machine again, 1927. Although Eskimo rolling and all of its spinning cousins are a staple of many weekend whitewater kayakers' repertoires, now you can go to hit any big river, like in around here we got the Okoa, you see people rolling left and right. But prior to 1927, there is no, no, that is zero recorded instance of a non-native performing this complex skill. Prior to 1927, one must have had the good fortune to be born into a tribe or society where such skills are valued and necessary for survival. All right, so what changed in 1927? 
Austrian Hans Palata became entranced by reading of the technique in the writings of polar explorers. He set himself upon learning how to do it. So, did he do so by seeking out a native teacher? No. Did he YouTube it? 1927? No, not hardly. So, how did he do it? Well, he simply read and researched deeply, particularly the works of Knud Rasmussen, Fridtjof Nansen, and Friedrich Johansen, which, to be clear, these are not instructional manuals. I've read them. They are tales of exploration with only vague details of the tactic observed provided. And again, vague details. And if you read these in context, thinking about what our intrepid Austria must have been seeing, you know, I, I, I'd be damned if I could figure out how he learned how to do it just off of hearing this. Anyway, from there, uh, our intrepid Austrian took it to the river and worked and worked and worked and worked until he cracked the code of what he read on the page. His method is remarkably similar to Schliemann's approach to dead or lost skills, uh, making it into a living language. Now, if such an ability is available to one, it is available to all. We are wise to use Schliemann's and Powellata's examples as beacons to our own solo work. We never have to assume that no or limited access to training partners, state-of-the-art gear, certified instruction is what is holding us back. It seems the best instructors are keen minds. I mean, boatloads of self-discipline, contempt for beaten paths and pure OD grit, and the will to follow the passion. And to all of us in lockdown or simply with limited access to training partners and guiding hands, rest assured you can still make astonishing strides all by your lonesome. Now, I got to say again, part of what the Black Box Project is with all of its historical methods is uh, I, I do a lot of the archaeology for you. And then uh, I present to you so a lot of these uh, self-rolling drills and all them throw out for you to start play with. And obviously you get to take them, you get to push them further. So to make, uh, let you know, rest assured, I don't have to be by your side. There's really no instructor that has to be by your side. Hey, partners and instructors are great. I'm not saying they're not. I'm just saying that you, with your own discipline and, uh, you know, maybe some drills in front of your, I mean, I mean available at your fingertips, you're going to likely be good to go. So with that said, take heart in the fact that if these guys did it with no one around it, no matter where you are, by yourself, locked down or no, so can you. Well, if you dig what we just discussed today, uh, I'd like to invite you to like and subscribe to the podcast. Hell, support it if you want. I'm not your dad. Do what you want. And if you're a glutton for punishment, uh, just visit our website, ExtremeSelfProtection.com. You'll find links to the blog, all of our products, and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of more pages of like musics. Thank you.